You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here. The gubernatorial race for 2018 is already taking shape a year and a half out. What's perhaps most interesting so far is one candidate who was expected to be a strong contender has said he is not going to run next year. Congressman Dan Kildee is a Democrat from Flint Township, has made a name for himself on the national stage advocating for change in Flint, after the water crisis, but he won't take that popularity to the governor's house in Michigan. He plans to stay in Washington. Detroit Today producer Laura Weber Davis spoke with Kildee. Here's their conversation. I needed to focus on what I think is a real threat, and that is my work uh, trying to turn back some of President Trump's initiatives. And I need to have 100% of my focus on that and not have any of that work somehow perceived as having a political nature to it. Uh, but also, I mean, I, once I decided that I was not going to run, it just didn't make sense to keep that to myself uh, because there were a lot of folks who were encouraging me to, and uh, they should feel free to, to find another candidate if they want to support somebody, or maybe other candidates would get in if I uh, made it clear that I wasn't running, and I didn't want to get in the way of that. So you ran for governor for a few weeks at one point as well. You, well, you didn't run per se, but you had started a campaign for a couple of weeks before you decided you were going to run for Congress. Do you feel like now sort of this being the second time around where you said, you know, I'm not going to do this. This is really what I want to focus on. Do you think that that limits the potential for being governor into the future? I mean, it seems like that would be a conscious decision that you're making. Congress is where I want to be in some capacity and I love the state of Michigan, but I don't necessarily want to be governor of, of the state. Yeah, I mean, look, at if I had uh, all the time on earth, uh, who knows what I could end up doing. But you have to make choices. And the decision that I come to is that the opportunity to make the biggest impact was in Washington, especially now. So, you know, we do we have to make choices in life. And uh, you can't always have it both ways. It would be nice if I could somehow... Uh, you know, serve in both capacities at some point in time. But it's a reality that we have to make choices. And it was a hard decision, but one that I'm completely comfortable with. Your, your congressional district is um, pretty comfortably Democratic, uh, yet I know that there is a part of, well, we have to hold on to every seat we have and hopefully gain some more as well. Um, how much does the decision to stay in Congress and that you want to be in the House come down to preserving the seat? Um, and or continuing to build a coalition that will work for Democrats in the future and potentially taking back the House or at least fighting the agenda of President Trump? Well, for sure, staying uh, running for re-election, I think, increases the likelihood that we hold on to this seat. It is a seat that Republicans have indicated that they would go after. It was one of the 36 seats that they uh, initially targeted. And it's because um, it was one of those districts, while I did well, President Trump did fairly well also. Um, but yeah, this is all part of a bigger agenda. Uh, I mean, for me, getting reelected to Congress, going back, but also bringing more Democrats with me is, uh, I think, going to be a goal that I'll, that I'll put all this energy that could have otherwise gone into a campaign statewide will go into that goal as well. So <clears throat> President Trump won't be president for forever, and Democrats may or may not take back the House. Have you started to think about what you want to work on that isn't just fighting the agenda of your Republican counterparts or uh, a President Trump? Yeah, I mean, actually, a lot of the issues should transcend these partisan divisions. 
for example, infrastructure, which is a huge problem. Uh, I think the president made a big mistake by not leading with infrastructure, with investment in roads and bridges and water systems and all that, um, you know, that infrastructure that's been allowed to atrophy. It would have been smart to do that. And I think it's still one of those areas where we can find common ground across partisan divide. Well, but even so, do you think that Democrats would be willing to um, join in and potentially form a bipartisan coalition around infrastructure? It is sort of a bipartisan issue. But right now, it's uh, it seems like the, the politics are sort of overshadow, overshadowing policy because it's become so divisive, especially around health care and tax reform. There's sort of these bigger issues. Are they precluding uh, bipartisan action on something that can actually get done? It's making it much more difficult, I, uh, that's for sure. And especially all the controversies surrounding the president and his attention to all of that, this Russia uh, thing, as he referred to it, it's making it harder. Uh, but it shouldn't preclude it. And I think a lot of times, it's, I mean, this is a criticism, I think, of my fellow Democrats, a lot of the time we use being in the minority as an excuse for not being able to get things done. And the truth of the matter is we can. Uh, we have to be willing to. And Democrats are not monolithic in this regard. There are a number of us who are willing to, and I think we need to just encourage our Republican counterparts to, to do the same. The, the real issue for us, like if it came to infrastructure, for Democrats it's important that we not just say that we are in favor of moving forward on infrastructure, but for Republicans and Democrats to say, look, if we're going to do this, the policy itself has to be a reflection of all of our interests. So it can't be a situation where Republican leadership goes off, they put together some big infrastructure bill, and they come to us and say, hey, we need your votes to pass this thing. That's not going to work. Is that? It seems like that may have been a strategy that Donald Trump felt like was reasonable, especially with health care. Oh, well, no Democrats voted for it, and that was the issue of, of why it failed in the first in the first hand. How much is leadership on the Republican side? Paul Ryan seems to be at least somewhat more moderated in, in that regard. How much is he reaching across the aisle to work with Democrats potentially to pull in votes on some of these bigger issues? Yeah, I mean, I think the problem is that he, uh, Paul Ryan is a far more reasonable person. Uh, he's a more affable sort. I have a good relationship with him. But it is true that when it comes to the really big questions, he tends to default to his own party. He still adheres to uh, something, uh, you know, that requires the majority of the Republicans to favor something before they're willing to uh, bring it to the floor. We call it the Hastert rule, named after former Speaker Dennis Hastert, who adopted that principle. That's not democratic, small d democratic. Um, and so I find some criticism of, of Speaker Ryan in this regard as well. Even though he is, uh, a, has a softer hand, uh, he still tends to default to the partisan approach to things. I guess the other question surrounding Speaker Ryan and the ability to get work done in the House that, that lingers in my mind is, is everything sort of at a standstill because of the Russian investigation? It seems like it's really difficult to even talk about health care anymore um, in the Senate because the Russian investigation really has taken on a, a, a new level or a new face that it would almost seem to overwhelm every conversation. Is that just it, my outside sense, or is that really what it's like? Yeah, I think there is something to that. It's one of the reasons that I think the entire investigation ought to be taken out of the hands of Congress and go to an independent, bipartisan, sort of elder statesperson body that can look at this the same way we did 
the 9-11 Commission, for example, and let us focus on the more immediate policy questions that we ought to be addressing. But there's another aspect of this. Uh, the Russian controversy and the way the president has sort of handled this entire process makes it more difficult, even if our attention were not focused on it, because, and I don't know how to say this in, a, in, a, in any other way, you cannot trust the things the president says to be true. The president tell, says things that are patently false. And it makes it really difficult to enter into a real discussion, say, about tax policy or about infrastructure or, you know, whatever it might be, the budget, when we cannot trust him to be true to his word. It makes it really hard to get anything done. Uh, and, and I think until the Republicans in the House and the Senate, for that matter, come to grips with the fact that uh, they have more in common with us than they do with the President of the United States. We may have differences in terms of policy, but for the most part, you know, we're honest brokers. You can't say that about the White House, and it's a terrible thing to have to say, but it's just imminently provable that he does not tell the truth a lot of the time. You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Laura Weber Davis. I'm here with Congressman Dan Kildee, a Democrat from Flint Township. Congressman, before I let you go, uh, I wanted to ask, uh, uh, looking forward into the future on this gubernatorial race you're not going to enter, um, what do you think the state of Michigan really needs in its next leader, and what would you like to see happen at the state level policy-wise going well into the future? Well, I think we need some political courage to be straight with the people of this state and whoever is willing to do this as a candidate I'll support who will say look if we don't invest in better schools for our kids and if we don't rebuild our cities for example just to pick two knowing that that's going to cost us some money up front that that will mean we'll have to somehow raise revenues to do that if we don't do those things Michigan will continue in the downward spiral that it's on if we do make that investment, we will get paid back with increased growth, with productivity. That is the, the right approach. The person who's willing to say that and put to, a plan out uh, in, in front of folks, knowing that they'll get uh, uh, some slings and arrows for doing it, that's the kind of leader we need. Do you think that the issue of the Flint water crisis will become uh uh, a key issue in the campaign, even over the next couple of years, it obviously devastated uh, Governor Snyder's administration and will likely affect his legacy going forward. So do you think that that will therefore become a sort of a key campaign issue, even though a person representing that uh, district isn't necessarily going to be there talking about it? It should be, and I'll, I'll do everything I can to make sure that the story of Flint is in the, in the 2018 campaign one way or the other because it's not just about Flint and it's not just about water. This is a story of what happens. This is a, a proof point of what happens when we fail to invest in people and fail to invest in places uh, and somehow expect that we can cut ourselves through austerity to prosperity. It just doesn't work. Flint is a case in point. Congressman Dan Kildee, thanks so much. All right, thank you very much. That was Congressman Dan Kildee speaking with Detroit Today producer Laura Weber Davis.